0: to the Australian Cycling Insider Podcast. I'm Jamie Finch-Penninger and I'm very lucky to be joined today by Ben Hill um, of CCS Cycling um, and Aero, as I'm reminded by his um, his name on Zoom because he's just been in a meeting for the eSports World Championships. Um, ben, how you doing? Good, thanks, Jamie. Been a while since we had you on the podcast. Being a dad preparing for, you know, a million Zwift races um, must have taken about of a, the a time out of you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely uh, you can't prepare for how much of a time sacrifice a kid is. Um, but uh, Ava's lovely, so I wouldn't um, wouldn't wish it away.
0: I've had the pleasure of meeting Ava Hill, and uh, I think she's a, a lovely addition to the Hill uh, Hill family. Um, how long until she joins the Hill Handicap um, for Christmas?
1: Oh, well, we've got her on a balanced bike now, so it won't be too long now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, she's going to have some pretty good pedigree um, with you and Beck, Um, so um, I'm looking forward to seeing her racing in, you know, 14 years' time or whatever it's going to be. I'm sure she'll inherit both of your competitive tendencies. Uh, I haven't haven't introduced the podcast at all. Um, We're here to talk about the Melbourne and and a bit of the Tour of Gippsland as well, because that's been what's happening over the last week of racing. Ben was in the Warnie, um, obviously an interesting addition of the warning, I thought, um, and a race that you've had. Uh, you put a lot of emphasis on in the past.
1: Yeah, I, I um, have had very good cracks at the morning before putting a lot of um, training and focus into doing well there. I was probably a little less specific with my training this year, but I got a few long rides in and I was feeling really good in the lead up. So I was happy to give it a good crack.
0: Was there any difference to um, how things were panning out for the warning? Because I mean, I don't think you did um, two down under this year, and you didn't do two at Gippsland. Um, what was the what was the feeling there?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, well, my summer, I did the Bay Crits and then I got COVID, uh, so I had to miss the national championships. Um, but then, but I had no symptoms from it, so I only missed a couple of days of training and. I was back at uh, Tour Down Under and um, picked up a couple of podiums there and the KOM jersey, so I was yeah, I was I was pretty happy with the new team CCS cycling this year. The camera guys, uh, we had some good support and um, just happy to be back racing. the tour, The Tour Down Under was a lot of fun because my family and my mum and dad and Beck came all to watch, so that was that was great. But then we, my team, wasn't doing. It was a lot of time away over that time. So I was happy to miss Gippsland, just so I needed to be, do do a bit of work and um, spend a bit of time at home, get get my life a bit more in order. So I had to miss
0: Gippsland. Well, that's acceptable. I think um, I do remember now because we were chatting ahead of Nationals and I was um, asking if you're going to be down there. And so I got mixed up with that in two, of, uh, two and down under. Um, though I do remember thinking that it was a strange two down under where you take the Ah, uh, climbers jersey, and Ben Dyball takes the sprint jersey. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean,
0: I mean, it's not unusual for you to take a KOM jersey so much as it is to see Ben um sprinting for anything. Um, so, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was talking with um young camera rider Tom Chester, who was in the break with him that day, and I think he was too intimidated. Um Dylan Hopkins, um Dylan uh, Sunderland, kind of orchestrated who was getting what in the break that day. So. I think he decided Ben Dyball was going to get the sprint jersey.
0: I think you tried to orchestrate um, a sprint jersey once at the Herald Sun Tour. Um, how, how did that go, Ben?
1: Yeah, well, I, I tried to um, sew it all up, so I didn't have to do any sprinting, but some other people weren't happy with that, and they sprinted me for them, um, which I eventually got the win, but it, uh, it was much harder battle than what I wanted it to be.
0: Yeah, that was that was quite a dramatic um, tour, and it turned in turned a, what was going to be a three-stage sortie into you know five days of toiling away quite hard there. Uh, but that yeah, was yeah. so onto the warning itself now, and um, started in, I mean, that's pretty much perfect conditions um, out there. It was not too windy, um, but what wind there was was um, a tail crosswind for most of the race, and it was almost a complete tailwind for the, um, that. Final section along the Great Ocean Road, from what I saw, and it led to some you know pretty rapid racing out there. How did you find it?
1: Yeah, I I looked at the wind as everyone does in like the week before the warning, like the long range forecast. As you get closer, and it wasn't it wasn't going to be windy. I I feel like you hear all these epic tales about windy warnies and um really hard racing from the start, and most of the editions I've done, I would say all of them haven't been like that, and. Again, I was disappointed to to not get the the full blown crosswinds that we gonna make a hard day. I think Pat Shaw was trying to trying to G me up before the start saying it was gonna get windy, but we never really saw it uh impact the race too much.
0: Yeah, well I think it's part of part of selling the race that you gotta say. Come on, windy uh, windy guys. Um it's gonna um you gotta be out there looking for the attacks because that, that creates that um expectation as much as anything else. You've got to have the the guys looking for the attacks as well. You can't just have the wind. It has to be, you know, the uh, motivation within the Peloton as well to do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think the what the riders want to do sort of impacts it more than what the weather or the or the terrain um <laughs> how it dictates the race.
0: Yeah, on that note, it seemed like a relatively sedate start for the warning. Sometimes it can be absolutely hell for leather for you know the first hundred k's or so, trying to get a breakaway. But um, there were only like there were a few there were a few attempts. I mean, I'm not saying there weren't, but um, it was relatively steady. And then it was about there was a few attempts. I think Kale Thomas from um, Butterfields um, made a, du- a number of <laughs> solo attempts. He was one number that kept on getting read out over race radio. Um, but then it was um, a group. or there was a there was a dangerous attack there where um, Angus Lyons went pretty hard over the KOM there. What was the what was the um, feeling within the peloton to that?
1: Um, it was that uh, one of the was that midway through the race when the break was still up the road
0: the Angus. No, this is this before the break went. So this is about maybe oh. fifty k's. Um, oh yeah, over the
1: first at the first yeah. KOM. Yeah, I remember. I remember Angus. I think he got the points at the top, and I remember thinking what what was he doing sprinting for the KOM but um yeah I was in a pretty good position over the top there, this I didn't really realise how much that split the group or anything. Um and uh, it was it was hard at that moment, but I don't think it was generally hard. Uh, the race was just for me very frustrating because it, it was obvious early that Bridgelane had decided that their, their team was not very strong, I think. So they were riding very negatively, hoping that a bunch of non-ARA inform riders would go up the road and soak up all the points. I think that was their A plan. So they were marking them and sitting on all the time, which just made for a break. Established without the three big teams, I'm going I'm to call them the, the, three, the three best teams in, the, in their NRS.
0: We're talking um, uh, ARA, Inform, and Bridgeline.
1: Yeah, with those with those guys marking each other basically and not committing to moves with each other in it, it was doomed that a strong break was going to go. So I think we got we got a, a best break as we could away without them. Basically, um, the next the next strongest teams were all represented, and they made a good fist of it. But the the big teams were all happy for a sprint.
0: Yeah, so it ended up being um, a break of seven that got away. I've, I've lost it from where it was in front of me, but it was about seven at least. Some good some good names in there. We had you know former NRS stage winner uh, Jason Thomason from Butterfields. Um, Cyrus Monk has obviously won under twenty three national champs before. And, you know, he's been in very good form recently as well. He was uh, top three at, at Gippsland. And um, a, a new rider um, that I wasn't aware of before this race, um, Ben, but apparently you know a bit more about him, uh, Tim Cutler from CCS Cycling, um, who um, I was talking to a few of the boys in the break and they said he ripped their legs off out there. Um, and apart from that, it was Aidan Buttergig, um, Edwin Brits from Oliver's Real Food Racing and a few others. I mean, those are the, those are the main guys who are up there.
1: Um, so I think that was a lot of the the other strong NRS teams represented. Um, and we were we were happy with it. Not that not that we were gonna chase, but um we were happy to have a rider there. I was hoping that um send send one of the guys in the early break uh, gives me an excuse um when the when the second move goes that I can do a bit less um work going across to them because um I'm happy with my rider in the break. And we had Tim up there who he's my aero teammate on on Zwift. So he, I know he's, he's strong and to get him into the break. I was like, if he manages himself well, he can definitely go the distance. Uh, so that was a, that was an ideal situation for us. So then I could also just follow the, the big three, but they, they weren't keen to work. So um, we were basically um, all in for Tim, in, in the end, just hoping he could go the distance.
0: Yeah, I mean the break got out to about six minutes. Um, I heard that ARA kind of just pulled off the front of the peloton, and we're like, no, nah, we're not working at all.
1: Yeah, they well, ARA's. I thought I thought Inform had a pretty clear plan. Um, they were they were attacking a lot, and they had a few riders who they were happy to get away with. But if there wasn't right situation they didn't work and they were then if they didn't back themselves from the move they're happy for Brenton to have a sprint but ARA I couldn't tell exactly what they were trying to do it looks like Cam Scott was doing a lot of attacking himself I even saw him riding the front at one point and I was a little unclear on on their tactics of, of what that how they wanted the race to go but they were definitely very aggressive at times and also committed to the chase at times
0: it was interesting because Cam said he wasn't um, he wasn't feeling great, um, and you know gave the sprinting duties over to Craig Wiggins um, because he'd been doing some of that attacking. But you think that the plan would have been from the start? Okay, we, we're looking to get Cam in position for the finish, and it looked like you know that would have been doable because Inform were clearly very keen to make that a sprint, um, and Ara could have just you know helped them in that in that regard.
1: Yeah, well, I, I thought Ara would have just done. Um pretty much similar plan to, to Inform where they put Kane Richards or Angus Lyons into a move and then they're happy to back that and Can Scott sort of keeps his powder dry in the bunch. And it, they did eventually with, I think, like 30K to go, they decided they're in for camp, they're in for a sprint anyway and just started. Then they got organised. Um, it made it awkward because Mike O'Brien was about 10 seconds off the front. And Inform was playing a dangerous game where they were like, oh, we're not chasing until you catch Mark O'Brien. But Mark O'Brien was never catching the front guy. So I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, but eventually they caught Marco and started to chase.
0: It's it's always a funny one when, uh, you know, it's a break three minutes up the road or whatever, and you've got people attacking in, you know, ones and twos and things like that. And you're like, it's not going to get across. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You need so a, a group of like H or, or something like that
1: yeah yeah, exactly. so that um, I think I think the inform like they made the they made the call and it kind of gave them a reason not to have to chase earlier than that. so it worked out but these guys the, there's those teams don't like working together. It's kind of they, they want another team to work do all the work or they do all the work. like it's kind of a standoff and one team takes it up. They don't they don't generally work together
0: it's yeah it's interesting because you've been you've been a part of those big team dynamics um for a long time i remember the first time i met you was a warney uh, 2015 2016 when there was a big battle between yourself and what was then not bridge lane but what has morphed into bridge and what were they then avanti avanti Bounty? yeah
1: I think, I think they were avanti at the time yeah, yeah. yeah and we were bound, uh, bound for the team's called charter mason
0: yeah, that was probably the most negative warning I've ever seen um, as you guys yeah. just marked each other. And then, of course, we had that famous Grafton in Virel afterwards, which was actually an incredible race because of the team's classification there. But uh, maybe we'll get on to recounting that at some other stage when Grafton comes up next. So it can, it, it's it's funny to see those dynamics play out because it's, it's very much born out of um, the Andrew Christie Johnston style of racing a race, which is you get your numbers up the road and then you um, force everyone else to work and i've seen situations where bridge lane have had you know a a guy off the front a guy supposedly chasing behind both of them sitting on while the other person does the chasing for them and it's you know it's that situation where you just get the numbers where they need to be and then you exploit that tactical situation and i think all the other teams are pretty much uh, all the other top teams at least are employing pretty much that strategy these days so I think you saw that play out a bit in the warning. Um was that I mean, you've you've been within those squads or you were with Bridgelane last year. Is that more or less um, how they operate?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um that's that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to do the same thing. I was happy to have my rider in the E B, so I had a reason not to not to chase behind. But I think, yeah, now with with Bridgelane just having not the A squad, I think they said they had a few COVID cases and they had to bring in some guys that weren't particularly fit they were very well, they, yeah the
0: they team. had a really young squad there i mean there were a lot of um guys who first year on that team and they're like 18 19 years old
1: yeah yeah so and they at the end of the day i think they achieved what they wanted to achieve it's kind of damage control i think they would have loved to have um a hard race and and jimmy wheel and get to really stretch his legs but He's so heavily marked that um, it's going to be hard for him to make an impact on
0: a flat race. Well, we'll talk about the finale then. Um, can we talk about the catcher of the of the breakaway? Um, Tim Cutler, it seemed. Um, apparently, he didn't really attack. It was more that um, you know somebody dropped a wheel in front, and he just you know suddenly had a few lengths into them. And um, Cyrus and Aiden Buttigieg uh, were were the only ones strong enough to. Managed to scramble their way across to him. Um, apparently, he was just ripping their legs off all day out there. Um, and then they kind of worked together. Um, him, Cyrus, and Aiden. Aiden only briefly because he looked pretty <laughs> he looked pretty buggered out there and was just sitting on. Um, I was watching the stream back, and the and Matt Keenan and Dave McKenzie who were in commentary were were talking a lot about him sitting on. Um, and I. I know, I know. I was I was watching from the car behind, and he clearly didn't have anything in his legs um, at the end there. And I saw Cyrus actually just posted on um, Instagram about why he let him sit on, because apparently he's being asked lots of questions about it. And basically, he didn't have anything to go through if he would have, if he could have, he would have, because he's that sort of personality.
1: Yeah, well, I'm um, I'm more than happy for him to sit on in that situation, but <sighs> but um to have. But to see him go for the last sprint when he didn't even need the sprint points, I thought that was a little cheeky that he probably, probably shouldn't have done that if he wanted to keep everyone on his side.
0: In, in the end, it was um, Cyrus who attacked just out of that break. You know, as there were like 20 seconds or something from the peloton and he held on a tiny bit longer. But um, it looked like it was all coming through down to that finale. And it's an interesting one, that um, that kind of southern approach to um, Warrnambool there, Ben. It's got some... You know little rolling hills, some um, some little spots to attack and then some descents um where you can kind of take stock of what's going on. Um what do you think of that finale there?
1: Yeah I, I like I really like the the finale. Um there's a yeah little climb about five K out and then a few more little rollers all the way into town. So it gives um it gives an opportunity for four moves to go. And I think the pace was not particularly hot up that climb, but it was enough to To split it to a bit of a selection over the last hill, just because it's at the end of 270k and people are people tired, so it doesn't take much to to drop. But I was towards the front, and all the main guys were around still, so I didn't really notice that. Like I think we didn't drop anyone that was going to be significant.
0: Well, where where are you looking to attack at that point? Are you you looking for somebody else to go first and then latch onto that, or are you looking to just sort of lull on the pace? Or
1: yeah, I was I was looking for for an opportunity, and I followed Jimmy over a hill. Um, I think that hill about five k to go, but um, I'm not sure we even got a gap at all, um, and just everyone rolled back on the descent. And then I still still was looking for a bit of an opportunity and. Nothing. I I felt like I wasn't in the right position or on the right wheels um, for something to present itself, and it looked like Inform had had the numbers there to control things. So um, I was I was pretty resigned to the fact that it was going to be a sprint. I yeah, I was like I I'm unlikely to win this sprint, but maybe at the end of 270k something something can happen.
0: <laughs> so who's whose wheel were you looking for?
1: I was. I was mainly following Nick White, but um, Brenton Jones, Cam Scott, those guys, um, any any one of them, uh, I would have been happy to have the wheel of. And I ended up getting quite shuffled back um, in the sprint. So I, I don't know whose wheel I was. I think I came out of that last corner way further back than I wanted to be. When, when Cam went, like, for starters, I can't believe for two years in a row, that move has worked where the fastest guy has jumped away and won in the last couple of K. Like, I am not the favourite to win the sprint and I don't have the confidence to think I'm going to win the sprint, but I still don't want to sacrifice my probable fourth, fifth finish for a, like a one in a million chance. And for me to do that jump, it probably wouldn't work because then Cam would follow me. Um, so I'm thinking like negative, I'll go for a sprint. And so for him, for them, for both Jensen and Cam to have like the, well, I think that would be a bit of different headspace. Like Jensen was just saw an opportunity and went, whereas Cam was the opposite and and didn't back himself. And that's why he went. So they had different motives. But yeah, it's just incredible that it came off both times. Well, um,
0: it's certainly made for some dramatic finishes, hasn't it? Um, and this year in particular because um, looks like Cam is going to win for all money and then <laughs> he, he's slowing up coming towards the line and you see Brenton and um, uh, yeah. Miles Stewart uh, coming, coming home like a freight train and uh, – Cam, cam struggling to turn the pedals and he, he just posts up at the end and he sense if the race was about 10 meters longer it might have been might have been a different result but um yeah tremendous um, tremendous effort there by cam cam Scott to take that win and uh, you know together with the two two of Gibson stage wins that he that he's had he's putting together a real nice summer at the moment and I think delivering on the results that we all knew he was uh, capable of.
1: Yeah, he was very strong. Well, There was one point along the Great Ocean Road where I was sitting fourth wheel and he was just lining out in the gutter and it wasn't even that crosswind. Um, It was pretty much wind with us and he just rode Ben Metcalf off the wheel and the guy in third wheel just swung out as well and I had to like bridge up to him. He was just, he was on a mission along there just trying to really get something away which is, is always nice to see from probably the fastest sprinter in the race.
0: Yeah, and uh, Brendan Jones, um, he was he was disappointed after the race, um, coming coming close to the win again. He's been you know there and thereabouts. This is probably the closest that he's ever been. Um, but you know a quality sprinter, and he seems I don't know if he's getting better with age, but he's he's certainly not slowed down much, has he?
1: No, he. Um, I think I was thinking, I think he was thinking the same thing that his team would bring it back um, when Cam went. He still had some numbers there. Um, I don't think we understood how tired they were because they had been very active all day those guys i yeah he i think one of them was still out there in the sprint though so maybe they messed up their their boards a little bit and probably should have put that guy on the front but yeah so brendan would be very disappointed to uh to win the sprint for second
0: yeah they had josh duffy up there in seventh um he, he's normally the lead out guy for um whoever's whoever's last though. i think he did that at the under 23 um, crits as well at uh, Nationals. And I think he was second there, actually, because he did such a good lead out. Um, but yeah, yeah, so cool. I can't speak to whether he should chase back or not. But, um, I mean, that's what Brenton said. He, he said things along those lines. He was thinking about whether he should follow Cam. Um, and then he was like, no, nah, I've got, we, you know, on the sprinter, we've got, we've got guys here. It's a big group. We should be able to chase him back. So, yeah, tough one. Yeah. Um, the other thing, Miles as yeah. well. I mean, that's probably the best sprint we've ever seen him do, um, right up there with Brenton, maybe uh, half a half a wheel, wheel's width by the end. And uh, we saw at Gippsland as well that he was finishing you know, third, right in behind um, Scott and, um, and Jones on those stages. So mm-hmm. he's, he's a young sprinter who's, who's up and coming and really showing his uh, wares at the moment.
1: Yeah, he's, he's definitely impressed me, Miles. I've, I've raced in the last few years just around state racing, and I think he's struggled a little bit. Uh, just with, when the race has got hard. Um, so I, I've never really had to sprint him too much because it didn't come down to that. But I think not only is he quick, but he's got a lot stronger in the last 6, 12 months now and he can, um, he, he can get through to some hard finishes and it's probably helped his sprint a bit too because he's a bit fresher at the finish as well. So he's really, yeah, he's really come along.
0: Yeah, I was, I was thinking the exact same thing because um, in the past he's been you know, a sprinter, but I haven't seen too much out of him. Um, but now he's, he's um, doing really well. And he's also getting leadership over Cooper Sayers. So if you watch the Zwift, uh, Zwift Academy, which I'm, I'm sure you did, Ben, because your brother Sam was uh, a major part of it. Um, Cooper, Cooper was getting the uh, the sprinting duties there, and he was you know going up against guys like Tim Lyle and uh, and acquitting himself well. Um, obviously, different stages of their season and, and form, but um, well, I
1: think I think Cooper was the sprinter amongst a bunch of really good climbers in that instance. Um, not 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 that Cooper's slow, but I think Miles is much more of an actual sprinter than Cooper is.
0: Yeah, I know, but I mean that's what that's what his feedback was. Out of Zwift, I had a quick chat from with him at Gippsland, and he was saying that Zwift was saying, oh, not Zwift, um, and Phoenix was saying, you know, look, concentrate on what you're good at. You're good at sprinting, and uh, and he's going to work on that a bit more now. So it's it's an interesting one, um, and. You know, for Miles to be picked consistently ahead of uh, Cooper, I mean, that shows that there's a lot of faith within the team um, in him. Because
1: you know, yeah, Cooper well, slow definitely proved it over the last few weeks.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're looking forward to seeing what he can do. Um, let's see uh, where the, the continental, the near continental, ends up taking them. Because uh, there's some more Asian races in, on this year, and uh, some more opportunities for um, Australian teams to get overseas. So, um, I think ARA, have got some big plans, um, as to bridge Lane, of course, um, James, Wielman almost saying that they're going over to tour de Breton, um, coming up and, uh, that should be, that should be a good, good little race over there. You've done that before. Haven't you Ben?
1: Yeah, I've done, I've done Breton twice. The first time I broke my collarbone, um, day one, so I didn't really do it. And the second time I got the full experience and it's, it is a very, very hard race, uh, I think. Um, Matt Dinham did quite well over there last year, so uh, they could definitely yeah do something.
0: Yeah, speaking of Matt Dinham, won the um, elite national uh, mountain bike title over the weekend, um, uh, and is looking like you know one of Australia's top cycling prospects at the moment. Uh,
1: yeah, he um, he he. I followed the the Bridgeline results in Europe last year, and he definitely looked like one of the standouts. I was. I was interested to see if he um would pick anything up off the back of that because I thought um what he did was probably worthy of of a uh, better ride but obviously not um but now with mountain bike um, nationals I don't know if that helps you get a road contract or not but he's definitely uh, keeps popping up and impressing so I I hope he can pick something up.
0: Well, we're seeing uh, more and more guys go uh, that kind of cross uh, multiple discipline routes. So, I mean, obviously the top guys like Pickcock, Vanderpool, Van um, Art, Van but, um, you know, plenty of the guys coming through as well are doing more of that, but multi-discipline stuff. So it could only be a plus, couldn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think like if you go on the mountain bike, it helps with your your handling a lot. So um, I think it's really good for your skills and like physically, um, it's very very similar effort to to road cycling, so they they can swap over well. Um, and Matt Denham's another example of that.
0: Um, speaking of mountain bikers, we didn't get to see Trekkie um, on the start line. I understand he was a bit a bit crook, um, but uh, fellow Canberra Canberra dad, um, can you give us any inside info? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I've been coaching Trekkie for the last eight months or so as well. So, um, yeah, he he. He was all in for nationals and did very well there, as we know. Uh, Since then, he's had awful luck, including getting COVID and having gastro, and um, he's been hit with a lot of sickness. So um, he's struggled to get any sort of consistency since then, uh, which has been a bit of a shame because he had some red-hot form at at nationals and hasn't really got to use it since.
0: Do we we know who he's racing for? I think he he was giant for um, nationals, but... um... Do he is he going back to CCS or is what's the deal there?
1: No, he um, he because of his contract obligations with uh, Giant on the mountain bike, he's pretty much just riding for himself or for his Giant team on the mountain bike, and then his um, his road stuff if he wants to do any NRS, uh, the Giant team works well because that's not a sponsor clash so unfortunately you can't come race for ccs because of that
0: um we should probably wrap up with what uh what you've got coming up ben which is the uh uh the uci um esports world championships on zwift um you've done this before you were what fifth last time
1: yeah i'm really looking forward to that. that's actually been more of my focus than than the warnable because uh, yeah, like you train hard for the warning and it's just going to be a bunch of sprint. It's, it's a, often a bit of a letdown. So I know what I'm getting with, with Zwift and I can really do some good, good training with that in my lifestyle these days, getting a lot of quality one, two hour style mm-hmm. sessions. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that next week.
0: Um, you're just in a meeting. Are there any big plans from the team about tactics or anything like that? I mean, how, how, you, how do you go into approaching the race
1: we have a very strong team um with like uh, uh Aiden Sinclair and Torben, who are very good um news lifters, but then like Alex Bogner and Sam, fresh off their Zwift Academy, uh, they know the platform well. Um, but we believe in uh Jay, Vine, Freddie Ovet, and myself could all have a have a chance at winning it. So we're trying to sort of tread a fine line, giving us all the opportunity to to win the race.
0: Um, well, we've heard um, eight, your daughter Ava in the background, so we might let you go. Um, as you, you might be required as a, for some fatherly duties there, but thanks for being with us, Ben, and uh, hopefully see you in action soon. Well, certainly see you in action soon for the, um, for the World Champs.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Happy
0: to chat. And welcome back to the Australian Cycling insider podcast um I was just listening back to the first half of this um, podcast with Ben Hill and it's a bit ropey because um, I was uh, just traveling back to Sydney and that's whatever uh 11 12 hour drive from Warnable. I was a bit hazy for the, for the for that quick for that first interview with Ben but um I'm very lucky to be joined now by uh, georgina uh, well Georgie Howe um, of Knights uh, of suburbia racing um Georgie, thanks for joining the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me on here, Jamie. It's a real pleasure.
0: Yeah, well, pleasure for me. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this chat because I've been uh, doing a little bit of research um, on some of your past exploits and uh, looking into your rowing background, uh, looking into um, some of your professional stuff that you've been doing with Ernst Young um, as a well, a senior consultant. There, what does a senior consultant do,
2: uh, Jamie? You're gonna have to tell me on that one. Uh, no, it's um, it's uh, just a. Working, I started in as a graduate at, at EY and I've worked my way up to a senior consultant. So I've been there for um, coming up to my four-year anniversary, really. So I came in on the elite athlete program that they run there.
0: Yeah, I was, I was reading about a bit about your day-to-day. I mean, uh, when you're a rower, getting up at 4.30 every morning to do your training and then uh, working around. Thankfully, I mean, what sounds like, quite flexible work practices and, mm. uh, and uh, able to you know, manage your life-work uh, balance there.
2: Yeah, EY's, EY was phenomenal. Um I came on in 2018 when I was yeah pretty much doing yeah 26 hours of rowing training a week and they were fantastic with um with allowing me to start a little bit later so I can fit in a session in the morning, possibly do a session at lunch, and then um uh, finish uh, a little, maybe at around four o'clock in the afternoon so I can get to my afternoon sessions. And I was lucky uh training in Melbourne, we have I was We always joked we could have like a bit of a flying fox down from the level 28 in the EY building straight into my rowing club across the Yarra River um, because it was that close. And then the Victorian Institute of Sport was just at Albert Park Lake, which isn't too far away either. So um, I was fairly lucky to kind of train in a bit of a a handy little triangle there.
0: That club at the Yarra River, is that the one that Sean Lake um, coaches at? I think I've seen him around there before.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of them. So I train at, uh, I, I'm a member of uh, Melbourne University Boat Club, um, which is I think one boathouse drive. Uh, and then I, I think Sean might be at Mercantile, which might be our, which is our rival club, not might be our rival club, is our rival club. So yeah, I, I think I've seen him around. Um, if he's at Mercantile, probably not as much, but if he was at Melbourne Uni, definitely.
0: Yeah, for, for anyone who doesn't know, Sean was um, one of the best converts from rowing that Australia has seen in recent years. Um, won back-to-back grafting to Inverell's and uh, was one of the top time trials in Australia for quite some time. But I think he burnt out a bit because was, he was on the verge of going pro and uh, they did there was quite a few changes to um, his time trial position, his body comp- composition as well, um, as he looked to get a bit lighter, I think, um, lost some of that power. and. Yeah, unfortunately, we've lost him to cycling now. I did bump into him at Harold Sun Tour one year and uh looked, looked like he was enjoying life. So, I mean, I, I think we can be happy about that at least.
2: 100%. Mental health's got to come first and you got to be comfy in what you're doing
0: in life. I think he was doing some rowing, rowing coaching as well at the time. I don't know if he still is, but um, he's yeah. uh, he, he's a good guy as well. So, hopefully, he's doing well, well wherever he's in the world. Yeah. We should probably talk a bit to some of that early rowing career because, I mean, that, that makes up most of your professional athlete well your athlete, athletic career I mean various um, degrees of professional in there no doubt um can you talk a bit to that I mean obviously I'll, I'd love to hear about like the rowing scene in America in amongst that collegiate process over there because college sport over there just looks a bit, a bit uh, nuts <laughs> compared to what you'd see in Australia
2: yeah, um, I was extremely lucky to to get a um, to get a scholarship to Princeton University and train under the the legend that is Laurie Dalfny. Um I think she's one of the longest serving female uh, rowing coaches in the US, um, and it, there aren't that many female rowing coaches globally at that level. So it was great to have that that role model um, from from the get go. Um, yeah, so started there in 2013 uh, with Princeton um, Open White Women's Crew. It was a bit of a shift um, uh, the collegiate. Sports scene, as you say, is crazy. We we compete under the uh, the NCAA, um, so we uh, we have our conferences. So we compete competed in the Ivy League. So in our regular season, we'd race against uh, Harvard, Brown, Yale. Um, we'd travel up and down the East Coast. We'd have our rowing camps down in Florida. Um, but then, uh, as soon as the NCAA season rolls around, um, you have to qualify either by winning your conference championship, so being the Ivy League championship, or get um, go into a lottery and get selected to come compete. And uh wow, yeah, the NCAAs was uh an, it, it's always an incredible uh, experience. There's so much um like everyone's got so passionate about their, their their university. Um from like the athletes themselves to their parents' support staff. Um yeah, it's pretty incredible. And you definitely see it with like the big football schools, for instance, so like Ohio State, um Cal, Stanford, um they've got that real fire for for um their school and their college. Um, and that definitely comes out. So it was really cool to be a part of
0: yeah and uh, i imagine those regattas get pretty um big i mean what's like the big events over there and how many like fans are you seeing um is it riverside
2: riverside um waterside uh yeah it's um i would say actually head of the charles is probably the biggest rowing event that we've got over in the states uh it's, it's competed on the um on the, the river up in um up in boston um on the charles and it's uh That is just, it's a a head race, so it's a time trial format. Boats are sent off every 10 seconds um, and you are chasing down the boat in front of you and it's like it's a windy course. It's always, can I swear, it's always crap weather Um, and it's it's always cold. It's held in October. Um, I mean, there was snow one year. Boats are T-boning each other. People are what we call catching crabs. So your boat all gets caught in the water. People get flung out of the boats. Um, it's just carnage, and I think that I don't know if it's the carnage or the the quality of the racing that draws the crowd. But I'd say that that like thousands and thousands and thousands of people come watch that every year. Um, it goes over a weekend. Whilst it, so whilst NCAA's is like huge, and obviously like you've got you only have um, 22 schools competing at the Division One level. So because it is a selective process that for those that can come compete, whereas head of the Charles anyone can come compete. So that is that so that makes it a, a really
0: big festive event. I think, I think anyone who's followed cycling can uh, identify with the um, the carnage attracting a, b- a bunch of attention within the sport. Um, you know, races like Paris-Roubaix, yeah. um, half of the people are just tuning in for the crashes, I think.
2: It's pretty funny. Like there's, there's two cameras on the course and my poor parents would tune in at the middle of the night, Australia time, to watch this Head of the Charles Race every year. And one of the cameras was on um, this one corner that required a really sharp turn. And um, we missed that turn every year that I rode it. Like, we'd always have to stop rowing, hold the boat down on one side to get the boat around. And, um, yeah, every year my parents, it was like the only footage they saw was us stopping the boat, turning, and then right race, racing again. So, yeah, carnage, definitely.
0: So what was your process for um, coming into cycling then from, you know, from very top elite level of rowing?
2: Um, well not dissimilar to sean lake's experience i was just burnt out after 13 years of, of rowing um i was yeah in a not in a great space mentally so i just uh decided to to pause the, the the oars for a bit hang them up for a little bit and see see what happens i went back to full-time at work um really enjoyed the the um the office the corporate lifestyle for a bit um did a few um did a f- kept fit like i kept Kept weight training going. I I did a little bit of uh, boxing because I was just a bit frustrated and to hit something. (laughs) And um, then in 2019 or 2020 when COVID hit uh, and we went into lockdown, I got an indoor uh, indoor trainer, a Wahoo kicker, uh, and got onto Zwift. And then, um, yeah, rediscovered my love for endurance sport again. I really enjoyed the grind. um, And it was just something that, yeah, I realised, oh, hey, my mental health is actually really improving here. Um, And I'm enjoying myself. I'm enjoying the competitive nature. The the races on Zwift were great. And uh, then so I decided um, once we got out of lockdown, I bought myself my first ever new road bike um, and uh, entered the Grand Fundo at uh, Australian Road Nats, which was last February, I think. But in January last year, I was just doing I wasn't actually going to get up and ride. I was like, no, I want to roll over and go back to sleep. Um, But I got up, I went out on a Wednesday morning and I think it was, um, now I know, I think it was the group coming back from uh, a Melbourne ride called North Road Ride and um, this guy kept popping up beside me on my right shoulder and it ended up being uh, Nick Owen, who was the sports scientist for the cyclists while I was a rower at the Victorian Institute of Sport Um, and he had been colluding with my sports scientist on the rowing side about getting me on a bike for a few years and uh, he asked me if I had a coach. I said, no, and he said, right, you do now, Um, get my number from Rod and, we never really looked back, and here we are a year later.
0: Interestingly, that's where I first heard your name, actually. I was uh, standing uh, roadside at um, Bay Crits. Uh, Nick um, said, oh, Georgie, Georgie Georgie Howe's going to um, podium in the Nationals TT, and I was like, Okay. (laughs) Um, But uh, it was, yeah, I mean, it wasn't far off. It was fourth in the end and um, certainly marked your name down from there. And you've, you know, gone from strength to strength since then, um, you know, winning two of Gippsland and then um, coming into Warney and doing a great ride there. Um, What's, I mean, it's been almost a whirlwind last month, it seems.
2: Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe that uh, that TT was about a month ago, and yeah, four seconds off of a podium. So Nick wasn't too far off on that one. Yeah, I, it's been an incredible month, and really, it's like the support from from Nick Nick all the way through to Taryn Heather at Nights of Suburbia, as my DS um, team manager Damien Gatt, and the whole team at Nights of Suburbia have been phenomenal. So like Nationals was a, a really big learning experience for me. Um, just everything from bunch riding, um, I got a, I got wouldn't say I was uh, I was yelled at, but uh, I was given a few stern words in, in the bunch at Nats, so I learned fairly quickly what to do and what not to do, what was acceptable, what wasn't. Um, and then uh, everything from, like, when you get a mechanical, like I dropped my chain coming into the Gear Avenue corner in the road race, um, get off your bike immediately, don't try and fix it yourself. So that was another learning. Um, and then going into TDU and having that, like, phenomenal stage one experience where M Watts, my goodness, uh, like what a sprint she had. Um, and then ev- like everything from um, radio- race radios to a convoy out to the start line to feeding from the car, um, trying to figure out how to put an ice stocking in the back of my jersey without messing up my radio. Like um, TDU was a massive learning experience um, on so many levels. Uh, and then Gippsland, um, we, we didn't really have any expectations other than we wanted to race as a team and, and have a really good um, and, and just execute our goals every day uh, and by doing that, we came away with the win. Um, yes, uh, like cycling is, is an odd sport. Like, yes, I'm standing on the podium, but my goodness, it couldn't have been done without buying from the entire team. And then I keep coming back to that crit and Sam Dorita in those last three laps was just phenomenal, just absolutely drilling it on the front to, to protect the yellow jersey. Um, and then Wani, um, what a historic day that was um, to be able to get out there and race the longest women's race in the world. Um, yes, we didn't get the result that we wanted, um, but it was a – a tough finish, and credit to Maeve Plouffe, like to to go at that speed into that block headwind and the final sprint uphill, like she's got some serious legs on her. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, well, let's let's drill into the Warnie a bit because that's what the pod's about. Um mm-hmm. First, at the women's Warnie. I mean, um, I don't know how much sense you have of um, cycling history at this point, but you know, Warnie's been around um, in the men's and well, and as an open race um, since. Uh, 1895, though, it was Tracy Gaudry, I think, who was the first rider back in, oh God, stretching my memory now, I think it was 95 that she said um, that she was, um, you know, the first woman to ride the Warney. And in the last five years, there's been, you know, a women's category, which is first won by Lloyd O'Hanson, and the last two years has been won by Matilda Reynolds. It's just a super tough challenge, which is almost legendary within cycling. And now to get the first um, women's event uh, sponsored by Lockhart Energy this first time around, um, it's just a massive step within the sport. And I think we saw that reflected in viewing numbers on the live stream and general interest in the race. Um, What was your impression coming into um, the event?
2: I could really feel the anticipation. Like when we all are um, congregating at the uh, Colac Velodrome, it was uh, almost eerie, like there was a mist, um, beautiful sunrise, chilly for a February morning, um, but it was, um, yeah, everyone wanted to, to play a role and and we were, you could just feel everyone was willing, willing to take the race on. And then as soon as the gun went, it was on. Um, like we had, a, we had a very ambitious plan to go from the gun. Um, Kate Perry just took the race on completely and set the tone, in fact, for the whole peloton. Like you have to give her credit for that. Um, it was like, okay, we're here to race. Um and that's what it was—160 kilometers of spicy racing from the get-go. I think there was maybe a 15-second lull in there um, between attacks, but yeah, it was on from the get-go. And it was, it, and people wanted to make it such because it was such a historic event. We wanted to show people that we that women deserve a women's a women's warning, and I think mm. we did
0: that. Yeah, those early stages, um, the bunch was pretty much all together throughout. But there were, you know, there were times when it would uh, lengthen out into you know a long line and. Um, there'd be like small attacks almost getting their way off the front there. Um, and that was like the first 50 k's or so. And then it got into that climb just before the gravel section there. And um, I think it was one of your, it was your teammate um, Emily Watts, along with Amber Pate, who um, who actually split the race um, apart for the first time with a group of about 10 going off the front there.
2: Yeah, Em and I were actually in that break. So it was Em, myself, Carly Taylor, Amber Pate. Uh, I think we had Gina Ricardo in there, Anya Lowe. Um, but we we just did that probably wasn't going to stay away because Mave and Nicole weren't in it. Um, but that was uh, the first taste of like once a break goes, it's probably gone. Like a, a break of the right combination was going to stay away.
0: Yeah, um, what did what did you think of that gravel section there? I mean, it was a it was a bit um a bit a bit tricky with the descent into the gravel and then. Uh, the climb up it and the plenty of loose stones and stuff like that. Um, obviously not intended by the race organisers. It was a last-minute thing as um, a few sections of road on the course actually got ripped up. Um, for the men, they had to divert around Colac, but um, there wasn't a way to divert around this gravel section because it's the only road to the Great Ocean Road from there. Um, how did you find it?
2: Uh, I was following Amber's line into it, and I was like, Amber, I hope you're choosing a good line because we're coming into this very, very hot um and uh, we did. I think it was, it was from memory. It was uh, Amber was on the right. I was on her wheel. Anya was on the left, the left hand shoulder of Amber. And um, it was almost better that we're coming in in a bit of a reduced bunch um, there because we will kind of had a bit more freedom into which line we're going to take. Um, once we're on the gravel, um, yeah, it was just a matter of keeping the weight down on the rear wheel because um, there were quite and picking your line through it because there were some sandy parts as well. Like so, you you were, did have a risk of actually spinning out. But yeah, it was a bit of a climb actually. Like it was tough. Um, I was chatting, I had a, a roll with uh, Matilda Reynolds yesterday and um, I think Josie Talbot was working to, to close that breakdown and um, Matilda was saying that was almost the hardest part of the race, trying to get up that climb on the gravel, um, on the wheel of Josie because, yeah, the pace was on.
0: Yeah, Josie was saying after the race that that was a critical point as well um, when because it was just Gina in, the, in that group and, you know, some other favourites from the other teams. So she felt that she really had to close that that move down there and um well that's what ended up happening at least um it was, mm. it was it was a bit more reduced over the top there um and i think there were a few more attacks kind of going out out over the top but they were all brought back over the next five k's or so and then yeah. there was a bit of a reduction in speed and i think the i think the peloton got up to about 40 riders again before you turned onto great ocean Road there and uh, and then the fun really began when uh, when the when you got um faced by the winds there a bit more Thankfully it wasn't quite the block headwind that we were expecting at that point. Um, it, it was cause that would have neutralized the race a bit more, I feel, but, um, mm. it was yeah super attacking racing from that point. And, uh, I think that's about the time the live stream kicked in. So perfect timing, uh, from, from everyone there to, um, start, start the attacking. Can you talk us through a bit of what was happening on the front of the peloton?
2: there? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, mentioned that, that the speed came down. It was, it was almost like a bit of a truce. Everyone was like, okay, well, we're onto the great ocean road able to enjoy the view a little bit um, with like it was a, a beautiful scenic uh, scenic roll I'd never ridden my bike in that stretch of road before so that was lovely to see but yeah then the uh, we came up to coming up to the second QOM and uh, it really started to, to spice up and you could tell like people like it was pretty clear from the get go that teams wanted a break to go um, and they wanted the right person from their team in that break um, so they were looking for that the entire time um, Amber was pretty clear in the first like 80Ks, 80 85Ks, she wanted to get up the road and, and inform We're right behind that as well. Carly was pushing it, Tildes was pushing it. Um, same, similar with Rock Salt as well with Nicole. Um, uh, up, up the first cure, when we actually had a little bit of a break, um, uh, we had a bit of a gap heading over that first qualm and uh, led by Nicole, sprinting for the line with me on her wheel and Amber and mine, and nearly got it. But um, it was probably a bit early in the race. Legs were a bit too fresh for so we got brought back. But yeah, after that, it was just a matter of. You could really feel the tension starting to rise, and like so, um, we had to really keep keep our wits about us uh, as a team. And M Watts was phenomenal um, up the front, really controlling the pace, um, looking for those looking for those moves, um, the critical moves. Uh, I was there to marking the likes of Maeve, Amber, Nicole, Tim Matilda, because um, I knew if they if they went up the road, it was we had to be there.
0: Mm. Uh, there was one move that went off the front, uh, which had um, certainly had Alana Foster in it, um, a few of the um, other. Other riders from you know the not that I don't want to say lesser teams, but um, mm. not the not the favourites um, in there. And I think that looked like it might get a small advantage and maybe um, be the springboard for other people to attack across to it. But it ended up being brought back, and then that was when the the big move went. I think it was uh, from talking to people after the race, it was Matilda Reynolds who launched the move, and Josie Talbot um, launched, jumped onto it straight away. Um, where did you where did you fit in in um, forming that first?
2: I had to bridge, so I was um, I, I was probably a bit far back to, to get it. Em um, called us up. Shannon came up uh, on the right-hand side of the road. I came up on the left. I, I um, was motoring to get over to that break, kicked. Shannon tried to get on my wheel. She was about 10 metres from getting into that break, um, unfortunately. Um, didn't get there, but I, was, I managed to get on it. Um, I, called, I, I looked behind me. So we had a gap. I called a gap because I could see Nicole actually starting to sit up and Matilda, and I was like, "Gap, go!" And then all of a sudden, and then we just started to do that roll that we kept for the next fifty odd k.
0: Yeah, that was it was really impressive to see actually because you guys just chopped off like it was um, the end of a end of a bunch ride or something like that. It was um, some impressive pace out there, and the gap just kept on growing out. I think I think it was only about one, about two minutes advantage, maybe maybe like one and a half something like that, where. People started to sit up and take stock of, okay, this is where we are in the race now. Looks like pretty much everyone's got a leader here. Um, We can start to, you know, work out our pace a bit more and work out how we're going to start um, thinking about winning the race.
2: Yeah, it was was my first experience in a breakaway, um, particularly a breakaway of that calibre. Very, very classy riders in there. As soon as I looked around, I was like, yeah, no, this isn't coming back. Um, Teams are going to be happy with the combo up the road. Uh, So it was just a matter of, um, keeping the gap at a manageable distance so um so that way we we were pretty comfortable that we weren't going to be brought back um but also um making sure like looking after ourselves and making sure that we had a, a, enough energy on board because i mean it's, it's an 160k race and that it is a tough finish so making sure that we had uh, enough wherewithal for that last uh, 10 15k
0: yeah, I'm just going kind to of run through the riders quickly um, in case you haven't seen the race. If you haven't seen the race, go and watch it on SBS On Demand. Um, it was certainly a, a very fun, um, fun fun, race throughout and uh, interesting finale, I think, in particular, which we're just about to talk about. Uh, so there's Nicole Freyne of Rock Salt. Um, two from ARA were Maeve Plouffe and uh, Anya Lowe. Um, there was yourself um, from Knights of Suburbia, um, Matilda Reynolds of Inform, uh, TMX Make. Um, Megan Armitage, um, who else am I missing here? Josie Talbot of uh, City Uni Uni Staminade. It it looks like um, everyone was still working fairly well together. Um, The exception was Armitage, who um, was was dropping off a bit and skipping some turns there. Um, And I think she was almost completely skipping turns by the time the race reached the finale, which is, you know, fair enough. But I think it it worked against her in some ways because um, there was almost a decision amongst the group that, she wasn't going to be allowed to win and ride off for when she did launch those attacks. Um, uh, first, first attack was Matilda Reynolds with about seven k's to go. Um, a quite big attack up that um, up that mm-hmm. hill, which ended up dropping Anya Low. Um, what what sort of um, effort was that? Um, like trying to follow that one, Georgie.
2: It was, uh, I'd say it was, um, we knew someone was going to go at some point. Um, I, if I'm going to be completely honest, I probably overthought that last 10 kilometres. So um, that's just a lack of experience on my part and definitely something to learn from moving forward. But yeah, when Matilda went, probably was the right time. There was a, a lovely little, um, lovely little rise that was just, just steep enough to, to really um, be decisive if it wanted to be. Um, but uh, it was pretty clear Josie was not going to let anything go. Um, so she closed that down quick, smart, um, and yeah. As a consequence, Anya um, was was. I mean, what a workhorse! She was so prominent in the early stages of the. In fact, the first three quarters of the race, she was there working for for Maeve, closing things down, being in the breaks. Like she was in that earlier break that I mentioned with Carly, Amber, Emily, and myself. Um, so, but she was. Um, yeah, she, she was hurting um, and and she was transparent about that. So um, we l- looked after her as much as we could, um, but then um, she had to end up looking after herself when uh, Matilda attacked and she got dropped. But, yeah, then it all came back together. Um, it was um, There was some trepidation in the bunch that um, maybe it was a bit too early to begin that cat and mouse attacking, but um, by that stage, the commissaire came up and said we had 3 minutes 50, so we weren't going to be coming back. So we could start to think a bit more tactically.
0: Yeah, that was almost... Um... Oh, track sprint-esque um they're coming into the finale at stages because there was almost no pace on the front as nobody wanted to give any advantage to anyone else uh there mm. were a few there were a few attacks from uh, megan armitage um going in there and i think it, i think that was clear from what you said Josie Tab was keen on uh, keeping the race together and she shut um the more serious of those attacks down um just coming across the bridge there into warnerville um and then after that it was pretty much um a few little attacks here and there but pretty much slow until the finish and then the frame launches that attack and um it's all on from there what was what was your thinking coming in there were you thinking about attacking yourself or um i think you did launch one just after one of the megan armitage moves
2: yeah i went at 1k so as it can't take that left hand turn into um just before you dip into that 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 little um before the rise um i yeah had had a crack at, at 1k um and then um I think it was Tilds who got on my wheel, and then um, Everett was just strung out behind her. So then they came back together, and it was uh, I think it was in that dip, probably about three hundred, four hundred 400 k, uh, meters to go where Nicole launches, um, and I um, yeah, just it was just a bunch kick,
0: really, <laughs> straight, pretty straightforward. Yeah, well, and Maeve could scarcely have got a a better lead out into that one, um, because Correct. Nicole's. Because Nicole, once she kicked, she couldn't stop. You know, couldn't stop going. So um, yeah. I think she got. And, to... uh,
2: yeah, I was just gonna say, Maeve,
0: like I had a, a
2: heard some of the power that she was putting out in that kick, and to get over the line. And let's just say she's a deserving winner from the amount of watts that she produced.
0: Well, yeah, and uh, she ended up putting, uh, I don't know, five lengths <laughs> into into yeah. the rest into the rest of the break. Um, I mean, just perfect for launching from that you know one hundred and fifty-ish sort of mark, mm. and absolutely um, destroying that just um, throwing that sprint. I mean, uh, against a group of you know strong sprinters, um, Josie mm. Talbot no no slouch in the sprint by any stage mm. She she's been up there in World Tour races in the past. And, uh, well, Nicole Fran, if she, if she had opted to sprint, I mean, she's, she's got, um, serious pedigree as does Matilda Reynolds. So that was, um, yeah, that was pretty impressive. Um, yourself, um, where do you see yourself as a, as a sprinter at the moment? Um, obviously, you know, we've seen your power and time trials and, um, on the mm-hmm. road and in climbs, but, um, what's your, what's your kick like at the end of a Race?
2: My kick's not bad, uh, but it's, um, it definitely hasn't been a focus in my training, um, so uh, I have been working on my tactics in a sprint, um, but I haven't been working on my sprint per se um, because uh, where the focus has been on that, those long efforts, those long time trial efforts. Are. So perhaps in the future, maybe we'll, we'll start to focus on the sprint, but um, with those Oceania's coming up, I think it will still remain um, those, that long TT endurance um, efforts.
0: Yeah. Well, certainly the upcoming races, um, sprinting is not going to be as important. Um, well, Hopefully not, we'll, we'll see. Um, could be could be a few more situations where it's required. Um, what was really nice uh, was after the finish there where um, all the riders in that breakaway um, got together and uh, had a picture of the, um just after the finish. And um, it, was, it was good to see that respect between the riders um, and you coming together at what was quite a significant moment for women's cycling. So, I mean, just recognizing that collective moment, not just, um, not just saying, "Hey, Maeve, Maeve has won this race." It's all about Mave. No, it was all about that final group, which is, you know, six, six, seven of the finest riders um, in Australia at the moment, um, and competing for competing, all competing for the win. There.
2: Yeah, it was a really special group to be a part of, and look, quite frankly, I'm honoured to be a part of it. Um, I think every woman that that lined up for that start should be should be recognised as being a part of history. But. Yeah, that, that small break of, of six and, and definitely include Anya in that, um, she was there right up until the last gasp. Um, it's uh, It was really cool to be a part of um, and really um, I think it's definitely a step forward in women's cycling. Um, I think we're, we're, there's still a fair way to go with equal, equal prize money, uh, equal broadcast time. Um, I think... Um, it's not dissimilar to tennis, where women play three sets and men play five. Um, I think maybe, perhaps in the future, we can race that full two sixty-seven because um, that would be, I think, that would be pretty, pretty awesome in on itself. So maybe the UCI should might have a, have a look at that in the future. But um, look, it was a phenomenal, phenomenally um, historic day. Yeah, for sure.
0: Everyone watching it um, online and from roadside was, you know fully appreciative of the effort you guys made and the efforts um, that the organisers did in putting on the race. Um, it's become a really a really good weekend of cycling there, not just um, the women's race, not just the men's race, but um, also the Criterium um, and the uh, Port Campbell to Warrnambool as well, which um, is fun, it's a handicap. Um, I'm obviously slightly biased as I was um, doing the media communications role for the race, so um, you'd expect me to say something like that, but the feedback from everyone else as well was that it was, you know, a a great step forward for women's cycling, uh, and also a great event um, over the course of um, the weekend.
2: Yeah, it was. Look, the race organisers did a phenomenal job. I mean, like the the it went, it went off without a hitch. Um, everyone knew what they what they had to do, where they had to be. It was a festive atmosphere. They kept the fun in it. Um, it didn't take itself too seriously, but also seriously enough for the for the um gravity of the situation but yeah really credit credit to the team um not dissimilar to to, i think the same team ran the tour of gippsland um really really classy event i've
0: been a part of it and uh it's it's interesting you say it went without a hitch because there were plenty of hitches in the lead up and uh, maybe I'll get Karen Jones on there on here at some stage to talk about those hitches because there are all, all sorts of things like police permits um, being lost by the police and uh, um, and the multiple um, road closures and things that need to be worked out last minute um, some rooms flooded in the uh, in the hotels we were going to stay at and uh, anyway it was uh, it was an interesting few days watching Karen having to deal with all that and her phone constantly going <laughs> off so. Uh, but it was great to see you know Cadell Evans, which I don't think we touched on yet, um, opening the men's yeah. race, which is great to see a legend of, of cycling turn up there, and then Tracy Gaudry, obviously a legend of the women's sport, yeah, uh, yeah. turning up to the, the, um, the to the women's start and uh, acting as the event patron and opening up that race. Um, also, uh, you did some great support on social social media of um, of the event, so. I don't know. It th- things like know. Oh, it seems like all things are pointing upwards for women's cycling at present and the Melbourne Warrnambool Cycling Festival. So uh, I think it was just a great weekend of, of racing.
2: It was indeed. And I actually just saw it come across my screen um, earlier this morning that I think um, the Tour of Flanders has got equal prize money for men and women for the first time. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a
0: wonderful era to be part of women's cycling. Um, and that brings me on to future plans for you, I guess, um, tour of Flanders, um, well, tour race. Is that something you see you, you see yourself at a level at one day? Uh,
2: yeah, hopefully. Um, well, I'm really just enjoying riding my bike, enjoying the process. Um, I'd love to get over to Europe and, and race and have that experience over there. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. We've obviously, it's been a month since my, well, five weeks since my, uh, my first NRS race, first elite bunch race so um, I've still got a heap of learnings to go but it's um I think it's it's something that definitely
0: could be on the cards. Knights of Suburbia um racing with them as a team it seems like a really positive environment you started picking up some really good results and great I just like I love the ethos of the team um supporting the Love Me Love You Foundation which um, deals with mental health in Australia and I think that's almost reflected within the team it seems like a very positive environment.
2: Yeah, it is. It's uh like the Nazi suburbia guys, I mean, they uh started as an apparel brand here in Melbourne um uh, around bolstering the community of cycling and um and basically there were just blokes who got out on their bikes and they realized hey, we're really happy when we ride our bikes, let's make it an apparel brand to to support that. So they've got a real altruistic vein to them. And uh we're really fortunate to have them as a, as our primary sponsor. Um and then yeah, the partnership with Love Me Love You like we do the the Ride With Me weekend um a cup weekend every year where we raise money for the love me love you foundation and it's that's just a really special thing to be a part of as well um i couldn't have asked for a better start to my Nrs career with Knights of
0: berbia thank you for joining us georgie um and looking forward to seeing you at more races i must say by the way i'll compliment you on your massive hair it's it's a big hair game from you
2: <laughs> yeah have to, you have to include that in the podcast because my team give me a lot of stick for it i'm the only one on the team with a large helmet because uh, i've got a, a a main it was it was a it was much longer my coach nick was uh always joked about getting the shearers out
0: but uh this is much shorter than it was trust me <laughs> oh, well please please don't because it's um it looks magnificent um we don't get to see it so much at the cycling race where it's all uh, pulled, back, pulled, back, pulled back but <laughs> yeah. uh, looking great at the moment
2: thank you jamie thank you so much appreciate that i uh,
0: definitely have to you definitely have to include that it's a running joke <laughs> <laughs> perfect okay well thanks for joining us georgie and uh, yeah looking forward to catching up with you soon beautiful thanks
2: jamie have a wonderful day